Hello, this is your host, Marshall Fields, and welcome to Positive Communication Habits and Thought Process, or P-Chat-P for short. Here, we talk about real-life experiences and mindsets that help us navigate difficult conversations, even if we're just talking to ourselves. We can change the world by changing how we talk to it. You just had this bedrock of, like, mental innovation. Uh, I was on um, I was on Facebook and LinkedIn, and I saw this job that I think you would be perfect for. It's a step social innovation coordinator. <laughs> I think you'd be perfect for that job. Um, I mean, I'm that's kidding. right. Hire me. <laughs> and I'm kidding. That's actually a, a position you're looking to fill right now, isn't it? It is, but I think it's the perfect follow-up to this conversation, right? I am looking to help somebody find their greatness while doing good in the world. And that, like, again, this is me modeling that, right? I want to help you find your spot. I want to help somebody grow personally and professionally. I want somebody um, who wants to be reminded of what, curiosity is and wants to build skills about how to think differently and to be professionally creative while doing something good in the world. If those are the things you want, then hire me to be your supervisor. Pick me. <laughs> professionally creative. I'll tell you what, there have been some nuggets dropped, I tell you. All right, so... Be professionally creative with me because this is where I'm selfishly going to seek some free advice. You may or may not know that I own a business called P-Chat-P. And, you know, it's an acronym mm -hmm. for Positive Communication Habits and Thought Process. And so we do shows like this one. But what we're also starting to do is branch off and have a clothing line. And, you know, we're calling it Clothing for a Cause mm -hmm. because essentially this clothing has messages on it, as well as uh, QR codes that if people scan them, it will lead them to a discounted site that will give uh, people uh, discounted access to either buy clothing that has messages to help put the messages out in the world, but it also goes to a landing page that will um, give discounted access to the Freedom from Racism training using Communication Overcome Race, which is an online training program. Now that I've said all that, and you can kind of see some of the images, what? how would you recommend going about launching this or any thoughts come to your head? Um, I love the intent and the idea. My question would be, have you done customer discovery around having both things on on the design, right? Because I'm almost inclined to say, I wonder if people would be more curious to purchase and scan if the QR code was the only thing there, right? So, you know, we talk a lot about customer discovery as part of startups um, to really figure out what's going to drive the customer to purchase or what is going to drive support for the beneficiary. Um, so what are clients telling you, right? Ones who have gone through the training, do they want a shirt? 
Would they want the quote and the QR code, just the QR code? How would they like to share the message? Um, or what do they need to, to purchase um, so that they could share the message, right? If they're interested in sharing, what does the swag item look like? Is it a shirt? Is it a tumbler? What is it that people need? I'm personally, because I'm forever cold, drawn to the sweatshirt. Uh, you know, I'm like, what's that one? <laughs> I need warmer. I need warmer items. Um, and then, you know, everything is about um, the marketing presence and the social media presence um, and how the campaign goes out and what the message is that you're trying to communicate. Um, I actually think an entrepreneur, a friend of mine does this really well. Um, her name's Mandy Ralston, um, but she has a platform for applied behavior analytics. But the ways in which she promotes it provokes curiosity, right? And that's what you want to do. You don't want to give it all away. You want to make it seductive. You want to provoke, right? You want people to go, hmm, what is that? Yeah, I'll scan that. Yeah, I'll click that. Yes, I'll wear that, right? Um, so advice one would be, do you know what the customer wants, right? What does it look like? What do they need? What do they want? Um, and then in terms of how do you launch it, I'm inclined to think that customer discovery will tell you how to do it. But even if it doesn't, start from a place of what's going to provoke a response. What is going to make it um, alluring to somebody to want to click the next button? Nice. Free advice on the spot. You heard it here first. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's right. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Anytime. Serenity. Dr. Wright. Spin the wheel. Are you ready to spin the wheel? Now, just to explain for the folks at home, we're about to spin a wheel, and we have no idea what it's going to land on. But whatever it lands on, I do have a set of questions that are both thought-provoking and probably not the easiest to answer. And so uh, we've got about 17 minutes left, so I'm going to have to move fast. And if you can, it will be hard, but do your best to keep your responses as succinct as possible because I want to get through as many questions as I can. So no pressure, no pressure at all. Um, but here we go. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. And you're going to tell me when to stop. So the wheel is going to start spinning now. Stop. Labor. Alrighty, folks. It's going to be a labor of love as we approach the labor questions today. Alrighty. So. And we're not talking about childbirth, right? Like we're talking <laughs> workforce. <laughs> yes, we're talking about the workforce. Just just checking. I love it. No. Hey. Okay. You better clarify or your answers could be very weird. <laughs> okay. Yeah. First question. Rapid response. Here we go. First question. 
Let's start by discussing the importance of labor in context of social innovation and entrepreneurship. How does labor contribute to driving positive social change? Um, I think it's the other way around. Positive social change will drive labor. Done. Number two, when it comes to social innovation, how do you think entrepreneurs can create employment opportunities that promote fair labor practices and empower individuals in underserved communities? Yep. Um, be intentional, right? Don't just always use the same recruiting tools or recruiting practices you've done before. How can you intentionally reach out to groups who have not historically or traditionally applied for jobs with your company? Um, what are the, the other pieces? What are the actual qualifications that you need? Right. So many times we list arbitrary conversations because we think that is needed. Is an advanced degree truly needed or do you need somebody with experience? Don't list a master's degree if they don't actually need a master's degree, because if this is well, that's you said be succinct. Anyway, those are my two pieces. Nice. All right. Number three, we often hear about the concept of decent work. Can you explain what it means and share some examples of social entrepreneurs um, have incorporated decent work principles into their initiatives. Okay, so I will use a um, large for-profit company because I think often it's assumed, oh, nonprofits do this, they're more flexible. You know, there's some stereotypes and assumptions that we make about work and that it's harder to do in corporate spaces. But Decent work is about trust and respect for the employee while acknowledging like life is hard, right? So can you offer a four-day work week? Can you offer um, a hybrid environment for working parents, single working parents, so that they don't have to stress when kids are off school for election day or a weather day, right? Can you offer unlimited time off under the work hard, play hard mentality. But none of none of the decent work things actually work if there aren't good policies and processes and accountability in place inside of a strong work culture, right? So the other decent piece to this, other than just things that can be done, are how are we building up our people? Are we working through those issues where somebody said, oh, don't take that personally? Are we working through the issues where somebody truly is upset and something has happened? Do we know who our people are outside of the workspace and what they're bringing into the workspace? Do we know that they love to run? Do we know that they love to base jump? Maybe they only sit at home and play video games and they don't actually interact with anybody outside of an online platform, right? So there's two sides for me um, from a social innovation standpoint related to decent work. One is in the policies, processes, the, the functional things the company can do. The other is the, the heartthrob of the company itself and how that is serving the decency and the decent work of the people. What are some notable examples of social innovation initiatives that have successfully addressed labor rights or improved working conditions, particularly in marginalized or vulnerable communities? Um, I do think the massive shift towards um, 
hybrid work has benefited many marginalized communities because I do think it does allow for more flexibility. Now, is it completely inclusive? No, absolutely not, right? Is it better? Yes. Um, I also think there is a paradigm shift, not just in social innovation, but in um, industry across the board related to, to the qualification piece and what do we actually need to get the job done, right? One of the, I think one of the greatest assets to there being um, this uh, socialized argument around a lack of um, enough employees is really trying to figure out what do I need to do to get employees in the door and to keep them here. And, and companies are willing to make that work. Um, specifically from a social innovation standpoint, um, companies that are really looking to disrupt generational gaps or issues. I mentioned Anshul earlier, New Frontier earlier, but there's larger corporate um, companies across the board. Everything from, you know, P&G's got a social impact arm and an innovation arm um, that really does work to highlight and enhance and advance um, historically marginalized entrepreneurs through their R&D section while also serving, right, and creating philanthropic output. Um, in those communities as well. But there's also major investment companies, TZP, middle ground capital, places where they're focused on lower to mid-market companies to really build them up. Or Kinetic Ventures, you mentioned Brad's app earlier. Um, they have a managing partner who focuses on female founders and founders from diverse backgrounds or that are looking to serve diverse populations. Being intentional about well, let's not just see who, you know, falls out in the pool, but I'm going to go find them. They're there, right? They're there. It's not that <laughs> we don't exist. We're there, but somebody needs to turn a positive spotlight on us. And I think that is happening and it's getting more intention and more attention. Last question. <clears throat> I'd love to hear your thoughts on ethical considerations social entrepreneurs should keep in mind when it comes to labor practices, like, let me, I'm gonna twist that. How can they prioritize worker well-being while building sustainable and successful ventures? Look, the purpose of any business is to make money. Full stop, bottom line, for-profit, not-for-profit. The purpose of any business is to make money. Now, if you're a not-for-profit, you can't keep it. You got to give it back, right? So how do you, and I think this goes to like the great breakup or um, the quiet quitting or, you know, whatever catchphrase we want to call it, right? But there's a real issue around the inability to do life, to live, right? And we've created this society where you're not working hard if you're not busy, and people often talk about it as work-life balance. I don't actually believe in balance. If, if we talk about it as balance, I am always going to fail. I'm always going to fail. I'm never going to meet that. I talk about it as integration. And in figuring out how to make it work for me has given my brain freedom to go, okay, it's 3.30, 
but I also have to get my kid to gymnastics. Am I stressed about having to take that 45 minutes to and from work to do that? Absolutely not. But that's a culture that's been created through trust and respect and authenticity where my team supports and encourages that of like, yeah, go take your kid to gymnastics because we're not worried about that 45 minutes. So how do you create that worker mental health and well-being? One, it's about trust and respect. Start there. Two, it's in acknowledging busy is not better, right? What do we need to do to be effective, to make money, to be a thriving business? Three, what are we doing that just creates busyness? Because every company does it. So what are we doing to just create busyness that we can get rid of for our people? Because frankly, they're busy enough trying to do their job. So if we let them do it, everybody's happier without creating this other chaos to look busier to the outside world. So now we're back to the thing about students, right? Accountability and responsibility, mental health, and a societal fit that we try and apply as a company as well. Well said. You have no place for busyness in your business. All right. So, I, <laughs> no. you know, those are some hard-hitting questions. Um, I love your answers. I appreciate it. I think there's a lot of value that they bring. And so we kind of began talking about you. I wanted everybody to get to know you and then talked about business and all the ways that intellectually you could contribute to the discussion, which, bam, you know, honestly, I probably could have just sent this to you and said, record yourself saying this stuff, and it would have been just as good because I mean, you just have that skill set. It's true. Own it. Accept it. It's yours. Take it. I'm no. not taking it back. It's <laughs> yours. Uh, so I want to end on Thank a you. more personal note, okay? And we've got five minutes. More personal note. So here we go. Okay. Rapid fire again. First question. Favorite color or curse word? Give me one. Blue. And am I allowed to say it? Say it. <laughs> um, I believe fuck is a noun, a verb, an adjective. This is an a family I show. I am things. shocked and appalled. This is a family <laughs> show. <laughs> I can say it. I believe it can be used for all things to the point where my smallest gremlin said to me the other day, you know, I'm really proud of you. I haven't heard you yell that in a long time. And I thought, I think I'm winning as a parent. This is my moment to shine. That's called a growth indicator, man. That's called a growth indicator. All right. Number two, <laughs> uh, you can either give me your favorite movie or your favorite song. I can't do it. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. But I will say... Because I, I love lots of things, so I don't have a favorite song. However, I do think I missed my calling. I definitely should have been an 80s rock star. Tiffany, Madonna, Serenity. That was like the ultimate trilogy waiting to happen. And it, we just missed the boat. You won't hear me argue with you. All right. Number three. <laughs> biggest pet peeve. I... <laughs> okay, this is complicated. I don't love it. When I believe firmly in sharing a meal with people, peoples, anybody, right? I believe there's a lot of um, humanizing in sharing a meal. However, 
I don't love it if you start a sentence to me and then take the bite and I have to wait for you to finish chewing before you finish the sentence. So if you're like, hey, Serenity, what do you think about bite? Um, I've already forgotten you said my name. Like, <laughs> my brain has left and chased 18 other squirrels. And then you're like, so what did you think about that? Well, I quit listening to you because you were eating. I love that. You didn't answer my question, but I, I, I love it. Um, oh, no, you did. That is my pet peeve. You, you, I, so, that is my pet peeve. It's just a very complicated one because it's non-binary. Okay. I can love to share a meal with you while also not wanting you to talk to me in between. Okay. And this is what I got confused with. That's why I said that. Um, number four is favorite meal to eat or to prepare. Oh, I love to cook anything I don't have to decide on. So if somebody said, if my family or friends, anybody says, if you'll just cook these five things, I'm happy to do that. I don't like the decision-making process in cooking. So I love to cook anything I don't have to pick. Um, my favorite food is French fries. Nice. Number five, usually um, awkward I, moment. Yeah. Or... Hidden talent. Every, all of them. I'm, <laughs> I am the most socially awkward human there ever was. I love it. All of them. That is your final answer. All right. <laughs> what, is, what is the greatest lesson that you've learned? Hmm. Um, in my doctoral program, my chair looked at me one day because I was frustrated and was just beyond myself and couldn't figure out, you know, how to save the world in my one paper. And she said to me, you're losing your ability to be an advocate because it's being overwhelmed by your passion. Wow. And we had this really tough conversation around being able to mentally separate what I am passionate about and the ability to advocate for policy change. It's not that they're mutually exclusive, but they can't taint each other. And I was losing the ability to clearly articulate and communicate the policy issue that needed to change because I was so passionate about the people it was meant to serve. Right. And that passion should drive my work for policy change, not hinder it. Mm. That's that's actually incredible. I'm I'm feeling convicted about some things going on in my head. So, OK, wow. All right. Moving on. <clears throat> um, what are you learning now? What's something that you're reading or listening to? Yeah, um, I am. Currently reading, um, I think it's called Good Change, um, but I'm, I'm always reading. I'm in a book club. I'm always looking to read something different. Um, what I'm learning about um, is legal license agreements, and um, it, it's a very interesting process. How has failure shaped your life? Oh, Daily. I am who I am because I failed. 
right? Like it shapes, I, I truly, I truly believe in failing and failing forward and failing again. If we're not, you know, I told a team many years ago, um, if we're not failing, we're not trying. And I don't ever want us to feel fear. I don't ever want us to fear the failure. I want us to embrace the failure, but we have to do better, right? If we fail, we should have learned something in the process. And therefore by knowing better, we should do better. Facts. Okay. What have you done that I should do? Well, I'm inclined to say, I don't know all that you have done. Um, but what I will say is, um, just do one thing. Um, you know, I, I used the tagline, do it scared earlier in the conversation. And the other piece is always just change one, just change one habit, just change one policy, just change one practice. And in doing so, you will change one life. I just, every time you finish saying something, I feel like I just attended a, a mini TED talk. So... <laughs> I mean, all, all I have to say is, uh, Dr. Serenity Wright, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know that you have blessed our listeners and the host as well. So I thank you for your time. We appreciate your spirit and um, all that you bring to the community for social innovation, entrepreneurship, and social justice. You're awesome. Thank you. Thank you for making space for me. I appreciate it. If you like this episode and if you like P-Chat-P, you can find and subscribe on all major podcast platforms. You can support us at pchatp.com. We hope you join us in changing the world by changing how we talk to it. This episode was directed and produced by Marshall Fields with music and audio engineering by Chris Brueggemann. If you like this episode and if you like PChatP, you can find and subscribe on all major podcast platforms. You can support us at pchatp.com. We hope you join us in changing the world by changing how we talk to it. This episode was directed and produced by Marshall Fields with music and audio engineering by Chris Brueggemann. <laughs>